Chinese travelers. Time has come for another episode of Eternal Podcast. Doesn't matter, either you are Evok, Wuki, or even Gunga. Sit down comfortably and prepare yourself a popcorn. Magic the Gathering history. We all have access to most powerful cards of Sith Lords. Will you be corrupted by the unlimited powers, or you will be the chosen one? The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live and TheEpicStorm.com. Hey guys, and welcome to episode six of the Eternal Glory podcast. My name is Anurag Das, and today I'm joined by Bryant Cook and a special guest, Eddie Zamora. Eddie, thanks for being on the cast. What's up? Hello. Thank you for having me. Introduce yourself, Eddie. Tell me about your magic history and uh, yeah, what, what do you play in Legacy? Um, I play a deck that I'm very proud of uh, called Five Color Humans. You might have heard of it by me. I've definitely heard of it. Yeah, I, um, I've been playing that deck for about a year now, um, since the Deathrite Shaman ban, probably a month beforehand, and uh, I'm, I play it uh, regardless of all the people trying to tell me it's bad. Nice. I like that. Dab on the haters. Uh, Bryant, how are you doing? I heard you were prepping for a standard event <clears throat> yeah. this weekend. Star City Syracuse is this upcoming weekend, and it is a standard open, so I've been... Uh practicing some standards standards standard burning some moto tickets we don't have standards come on <laughs> do they have a legacy classic on sunday they do not it is standard and modern well well that's unfortunate so we should probably mention that uh our good friend wilson hunter cannot make it tonight he has uh something very important happening in his life true chains yeah wilson will be back next episode um but some important stuff going on for him, so we'll see him when he's back. I guess we'll start with the podcast then. Let's first off say uh, a warm thank you to Eric Burlett for uh, your generous donation. Uh, www.theeternalglorypodcast.com slash, what is it, donations? No, it's you just click on the donate button and the flutter. I don't know. It's, it's, it's even easier. It's even easier. You just click the giant donate button. Uh, so thank you so much, Eric. You know, your contributions are definitely helping us out. I think this is his second time donating. Wait, actually? Okay, Eric, virtual fist bump. And as always, you know, we we start off each episode with looking at, you know, feedback from the last episode. And um, one interesting topic that we discussed last time was Bedlam Reveler in the spicy Jund Arclight Phoenix deck. And Nate G gave us a lot of actual valuable input. So I guess I'll just... uh, Go through. He said, "Hey guys, good cast. Uh, I agree. Bedlam Reveler is underplayed, um, and here are a couple reasons why I think it struggles to find a home. The first reason is blue decks aren't really hurting for card draw, which makes sense. You got brainstorm and ponder. For that reason, I've played Reveler in a number of decks sim- similar to the Jund Phoenix deck Ryan described. That color combination is hurting for card draw, and its disruption is more proactive, like discard and removal, that is played out at a different rate. The final issue, though, is that." It's graveyard related, 
Bedlam Reveler incentivizes graveyard-focused strategies, and this becomes a liability when the opponent has, quote, wipeout-style graveyard hate, like Leyline, Rest in Peace, or Tormod's Crypt. Uh, it makes it incredibly difficult to cast Bedlam Reveler, so you get virtual card disadvantage from losing your whole graveyard, and you're unable to close the game. Um, that's kind of an interesting point, actually. Sometimes when you build, like, super synergistic decks, it's, it becomes a lot easier to target you. I know, like, when I first played with uh, Accumulated Knowledge in, with, in, in Miracles, people were boarding in Rest in Peace, and, like, the deck was just so much worse, I guess, when I was spending two mana to draw a card every time I cast an AK. What do you guys think? I, I think Bedlam Reveler is a super cool card. Um, I used to play a lot of blue-red Delver when I was first playing MTGO, uh, first started playing, because I it was the budget deck to play at the time. And Bedlam Reveler always, to me, felt a bit um, clunky. Uh, it, it was really powerful when I could resolve it, but getting two red mana is is difficult, in my opinion. And it's difficult to play that and streamline it while also needing double blue mana and trying to play around Wasteland and the such. Um, and I think in general, in Legacy, getting two sources of red mana as well as the other colors you want reliably, is it's just really hard to do and really awkward in a lot of cases. I think that Nate really hit his overall comments on the head. Uh, but, so for example, Eddie was mentioning in blue decks, Nate mentioned why you're not really needing them in blue decks, but this Phoenix deck is primarily red, so getting red red is very easy. Uh, and the deck does need more card draw because outside of Faithless Looting, you're not really churning through your deck. And the thing about uh, virtual card disadvantage from effects like Rest in Peace, Leyline Crypt, all that stuff, um, while that's mostly true, you do have Young Pyromancer as a backup, and the only other card in your deck other than, uh, I guess, Faithless Looting kind of counts, is the Phoenix itself. So, And you can always hardcast Phoenix, so... Bedlam Reveler is the only card that really gets hurt by an effect like Leyline or Rest in Peace or anything like that. Uh, and I think the advantages outweigh the disadvantages with the synergies throughout a number of matchups instead of looking at uh, the decks that narrowly play Rest in Peace or Leyline because they're not very popular. Uh, Surgical, I think, is still the graveyard hate of choice. One, one thing I would say to counter that even is um, when it comes to the other cards that rely on the graveyard, the Faithless Looting, the, the Phoenixes, sure, the graveyard hate will, will damper them, as in you can't flashback the looting, um, you can't cheat the Phoenix into play, but you can still cast those spells and get some sort of value out of them, whereas if an opponent casts a turn, a turn two Rest in Peace or something of the sort, you're now stuck with an eight mana spell in your hand that is not doing anything for the rest of the game. Uh, it is a card to discard the looting. Just saying. I guess you could build, you could like understand that, you know, post-war people are going to be bringing in these kinds of hate pieces and, and sort of like configure the sideboard game plans accordingly. Like trimming on Bedlam Reveler isn't the end of the world or like, you know, finding other ways to get it into play or having just more hate, like Reverent Silence, stuff like that for Leyline of the Void. That's kind of... That's obviously an extreme example, but things you could do. So yeah, let's move on to the next comment from James Whitehouse III. I've been a big proponent from Mew Sahili since I saw she was spoiled. So I'm very excited to see the result of this bet, dot, 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 in 18 months. Also would love to hear about that Bolus's Citadel, Brian, 
Another wonderful listen, though. Great episode, guys. There's just a lot to unpack here. Can I first say that James Whitehouse Third is a very official name? Notice how it was posted in Leaving a Legacy where uh, there's another third that likes to advertise the number in their name. One Gerald James Me. Did you guys did you guys ask him to be on the podcast first? That 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 alone is a story in and of itself. But yeah, regarding that bet, regarding that bet, honestly, I I don't know. It scares me because like I looked at Sahili and I'm just like this is not really a playable card. And now I've seen Sahili in decks like from more than one person. So I'm just kind of hoping that uh I'm just kind of hoping, I don't know, I just want to win this bet, you know? Not even for, like, whatever whatever stakes we put up, but I just want to be right, and I want Wilson to be wrong. Hey, Wilson, how's it going? As Slutbat Commissioner, I want you both to lose, because I don't think either of these cards are actually going to end up being that good. Like, I don't think decks need eight young Pyromancers, but I also think Teferi isn't as good as you think. So, I think in 18 months, they're luckily both going to be fringe playable. Watch it happen like in 18 months, some like random sleeper card that nobody's thought of is suddenly taking over the format. Um, yeah, but what about that Bolus of Citadel, though? That card seems interesting to me, and I've heard very mixed reviews on the card. Well, I bought four Japanese foils off of, uh, I can never pronounce it right, so everyone can laugh at me, but Harurura? Harayuya? It's supposed to be like Hallelujah, but with R's. Uh, so I bought four off there. It's been two weeks and they still haven't shipped, but I've been playing it in vintage since you can tinker for it. And it is insane. Like you have no reason to ever tinker for memory jar ever again in PO in DP storm. Like the card's just bonkers. Uh, it's actually just better than Yogmoth's bargain. Like the card isn't like with a sunsea's divining top, you just draw your deck. Uh, yeah. As far as legacy goes, I don't think it's very playable. Because, like, people are trying to put it in, like, TES shells or ant shells, which, because those are just better decks. Uh, and it doesn't work there. Otherwise, you can make a more dedicated Stormless with, like, a bunch of Cabal Rituals and then, like, multiple Tendrils of Agony. And now you're looking to naturally cast the Bolasa Citadel. But the problem with this is, at some point, you're going to reveal another Citadel. And you can, like, mini Tendrils to stay alive. But, like, if you can't get it into play, your entire deck just doesn't function. Where with, like, TES or ant. Uh, you can do things when you don't have Citadel. I will say I've I the uh, TES crew has been trying to recruit me as one of their own, and uh, I'm in the chat with them, and they're constantly coming up with new brews. And from what they've done with the Bola Citadel, it just doesn't seem like it adds anything that TES isn't already doing better. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brian. Well, now that everyone knows we have a secret elitist chat, Eddie. Thank you. I'd like to point out that I'm not part of this chat, and quite honestly, I'm just offended because really, like, after Brian created the Epic Storm, I was just there, you know, by him, holding his hand since day one, so I'll wait for the invite. Um, but I am kind of excited. I, I Like, you mentioned something about Bolas Citadel being good in Vintage, and I did, like, the thought of, like, Karn, the great creator, taking over the format. I haven't actually, like, kept up with the format, but it just, like, seems terrifying to me. And Bolas' Citadel, like, it's it's not an activated ability, right, to, like, play cards off the top of your deck, so you sort of get to play around Karn to a degree. That's kind of cool to me. Yeah, it helps you find your bounce spells, but you still can't tap your Moxen for mana. You can't activate your top, so it is kind of tough. Um and it's not bounced by Hercules Recall, which is one of the weaknesses, I think, of current PO lists is that they're all running 
two main deck Hercules, and then like one repeal or one chain of vapor. And I think that like they might need a change to be two chain of vapor or two repeal. Two chains. Uh, and we have one last comment as we move along and wrap up the feedback uh, from our beloved Brandon S. Osborne, a.k.a. Control for Days on MTGO, a.k.a. I would fanboy over this, but I, I, I apparently I get flack for when I fanboy for people. So sorry, Brandon, but I love you. Um, his comment. He's so handsome. He really is. He's like, he like works out. You know, you see this guy and you're like, he works out, you know, but uh, he he's like, he's like really good at magic. Jason Statham. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I feel like Brandon's the kind of guy that I would just want to like coddle me, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so Brandon says, that's a different podcast. I think he says, yo, with a lot of O's love that you guys have these on Spotify too. Well played. Credit to Bryant because, you know, I'm sh- I think Bryant takes care of all that sort of stuff. I don't even know how to put this thing on iTunes. So that's good. Yeah, you can find all of our information on Spotify as well as a number of other major platforms. So that's kind of cool. And if you do want it on another platform, you know, just let us know and uh, we'll try to make it happen. Today's topic, content creation. I'm a content creator. Are you? What do you do? I am. What do I do? Well, for one, I make this podcast with you uh, and Wilson and Eddie. Hi. And two, I stream on Twitch. What do you guys do? I am a streamer. Uh, Occasionally, something I'm trying to get a little more into. I produce a good amount of content for Five Color Humans um, via groups, Discord, um, chats, things of the like, and um, very soon we'll be producing articles for a certain website that I cannot say quite yet. It's thaliasepicstorm.com. Shh, that's a secret, Brian. Come on. <laughs> I've already purchased the domain. It's happening. What, Brian, what do you do? Uh, I have a website, I guess. Theepicstorm.com, uh, eternalglorypodcast.com. And sometimes I stream. Anurag is a much better streamer than I am. And he's much more handsome. Uh, so I, it's hard to hold a candle up to him, but I try. Well, yeah. Okay. So we're moving into the first portion of today's episode, and that's where we talk about branding. So I think the first thing we want to talk about, like, what what is branding? Eddie, how would, how would you define it? Um, I would consider branding kind of what the content creator is recognized for, what people think about, um, what they associate that uh, creator for um for bryant um i would say is uh, tes he's very proud and loud about that deck and that style as he should be it's great um mine i guess i would say is five color humans i'm not very quiet about it and i think we all know yours anurag terminus off the top um yeah that's 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 true i i, I agree with your definition i think branding is pretty much just like how you choose to represent represent yourself and like how you sort of the light that you want your content to be viewed in um it's not specifically just for like the kind of decks that we play although uh i will say that that does play that does sort of shape the sort of brands that we develop um i looked up a definition from a website and i kind of like this definition this definition reads branding is one of the more important ways to begin marketing yourself it signifies to the viewer that you believe in something. And that 
sort of hits it spot on. For example, right? I think my brand in terms of my Twitch channel goes beyond just playing uh, dirtily, controlly blue decks that just cantrip every turn and try to set up game plans and things like that. I also try to like promote an atmosphere in an environment that is open to everybody who may want to learn about the deck or has questions about legacy. You know, I don't, like, like, for example, like zero tolerance, like for racism and sexism and all the bad sort of things. And like, that's sort of like generic stuff that everyone in the magic community is pretty, pretty good about. But also, you know, just like sort of creating that space where everyone can have a good time, where we can look beyond all the sort of um, things that, you know, may not necessarily be pleasant. Anyways, the, the point is that it's beyond, it goes beyond just like miracles, just beyond tests, that sort of thing. So it's also about having very good hair. That's the main reason I tune into your streams. That is true. I I, I want to say one thing, though. I just realized that all three members... Wait, no, sorry. Three of the five members of Team Cardboard Live Parted Hair are in the stream today. And I wanna, I'm pretty grateful for that. Yeah, it's, it's astonishing when you can get forces such of ourselves together in one place. It's really four of us and an intern, but... <laughs> sorry, Rugved. One thing I... One one of my favorite things about your brand, Anurag, specifically, is uh, you have bops mm. on your stream. I love the music. I'm so old, I didn't know what you were talking about. It's millennial speech. Yeah, it is. But that's sort of also, like, that's another thing, right? So, like, your brand goes beyond, like, just your content. Like, I want my environment to be relaxing. And there's so many things that you can use well, at least from the context of like a Twitch stream, right? To, to to develop that sort of brand. So, so I actually do marketing branding for a living. While I'm a graphic designer, I do sit in on a lot of meetings where the creative idea is being discussed, or uh, people are trying to come up with concepts. And I do parts of that. I mean, I'm only a mid level person, but I'm in the room, and it's interesting to hear all the thought processes. And uh, one of the more interesting things is about branding is what do you want to tell your audience? Like that's usually the biggest thing. And how do you want to present yourself? So usually with magic, a lot of it's crossover, but for most content creators, I feel like when you're with your branding, most of them are teachers and the ones that aren't, I don't know how their numbers do, because if you're just putting out information to put out information, what's the point? Uh, if it's not like for learning, I don't know. I'm sort of just rambling now. No, I, I like that. I like that. That's the, that's the ultimate thing. That's another thing too, right? And maybe we should have addressed this earlier, but at the end of the day, content creation, um, part of it is just like, you need to get a, maybe you don't need to, but usually like it turns out that a message is getting sent across. Um, one thing that I'd like to point out is um, I think the branding kind of uh, a brand evolves right i think there's a a certain subject um that that us as content creators kind of use to get people interested in what we have to say and then from that grow our brand to who we are right like it, people people come to anurag's stream to to watch miracles to, to listen about miracles but they stay because of who he is and and the the environment he provides it's and i think that's a bigger part of it yeah that's a good point um branding also well i guess 
maybe one thing we should also take a look at is why branding is actually important um, and how it is helpful to content creators, right? Because the whole reason that we're talking about this is because if you're interested in content creation, developing your brand is important because, well, why? It helps you, it helps you grow as a content creator. And I think the first thing I want to like identify that is that with a well-developed brand, people are able to easily identify you. So that's the one thing. But also a well-developed brand makes it very easy for people who don't know about you to get a good idea about who you are pretty quickly without having to invest like all their time in developing a relationship with you. So maybe maybe a, an interesting way to look at this is like to take an example of another player from the, the Magic Legacy community who streams. Um, so twitch.tv slash Arkin11, A-R-K-4-N-1-1. And for viewers of Arkin's channel, it's pretty clear what his brand is based on, right? He's a very diehard Star Wars fan, and he's heavily integrated that into his streams and, like, you know, just every every single aspect about it, from the follow emote to the sub badges to, you know, pretty much even, like, the way he talks about magic and decks and things like that. And he sort of built his community around this to the point where... I'll go to like other Twitch channels and I'll see people spamming his emotes in the channel that are, you know, based on his Star Wars theme. And I'll know, hey, you're from Arkin's channel. You've been there before. And that's something that, get, that gives us to, you know, that we can connect on. And for other viewers, you know, they'll be like, wow, that's kind of cool. Look at this, you know, these sub badges and emotes and things like that. Maybe I should go check out this, uh, this person. And so all in all, like tying it back together, like, you know, Arkin has worked on his brand um, of, you know, the Star Wars theme and, you know, just playing a, like a variety MTG legacy streamer to sort of expand his reach out into, um, I guess, the, the Twitch universe. I will say one more thing is just like, I would actually consider his brand to be super successful too because I've been looking at like his growth pattern. Um, just, you know, it's just something that I passively notice is something that I pay attention to as a, you know, as a streamer who's also trying to grow. And he has exploded over the past month or so in terms of um, exposure, popularity, those sort of things. I, I think Archon is a perfect example of someone who really, really just, I guess, um, leaned in to what he believes in. Because I think at first the whole Star Wars thing and his obsession with it was a little weird to some people. I want to say that might be a, a off choice of words, but he's he's dedicated himself so hard to it that it's it's charming now, and it's it's fun because of that's just who he is, and it's so open. He he calls me the uh, master of Ewok humans, which is the best thing anyone has ever called me. Before I even knew who Arkin was. He would call me Sith Lord in our moto chats. And at first I was like, who is this guy? And then I turned into his stream once and it's like Eddie said, it's genuinely charming and he's a super nice person, which I think helps play off of the kookiness of Star Wars. Yeah. And I think in terms of branding, like why, why, what, 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 what exactly does this get across that we're trying to say? I think it further backs what, your your definition that you looked up was it uh, if i'm reading it back correctly it says it signifies to the viewer that you believe in something and and archon he does that he he embodies that he he cares about something and he he uses it to represent himself i guess yeah yeah 
I think, he, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the whole like Star Wars thing like contributes to his brand because it shows that you know he's out here trying to have a good time, trying to create create a good environment that people can enjoy, uh, you know, playing their decks in. And like you know, like there's a lot of sometimes, and maybe this is just a, or not not an extrapolation, but um, sometimes you know how people get upset when you know, like they lose to like their turn one tendrils or a turn one gristle rand or something like that, right? The way Arkin is approaching this is to like take that those negative feelings and turn it into something positive, which is really powerful. It's really powerful that his brand of Star Wars and things like that are able to, uh, you know, just create a more productive environment, a, a healthier place to be for, for magic players. Like, oh no, I got turned one gristle branded. Okay, that's fine. They had the nuts anyways. And then he'll spam like the gristle Sith emote a couple times. Um, I think it's very healthy. I think it's very productive. And I think working on your brand in that sense to develop it, to let people know who you are and what you're about will not only help you as a content creator grow, but also um, help others because, you know, sort of just attracts the sort of positive or, you know, whatever your brand is trying to, whatever your brand is about, it, it helps attract that sort of quality slash element together. So moving into uh, the next note, uh, why can branding be a trap? Eddie, why don't you uh, start us off with this? I I think the biggest trap behind branding would be what you what you make your viewers expect or what you lead them to expect out of you. Um, and I don't know if branding is ever a bad thing. But I think certain people can get into patterns, and if you if you break out of those patterns, your viewers or followers will maybe not be super happy with that. So, uh, someone on topic is uh, let's say you're a specialist and you play a deck like elves all the time, and all of a sudden you decide to become a generalist and you're gonna switch decks every let's say you stream twice a week and now you only stream elves once a month, twice a month, you're going to lose your elf following because these people aren't really interested in watching Dragon Stompy or Miracles. Like, they come to you because they want to learn more about that deck. And while you can pick up more viewers by switching decks in general, uh, you're going to lose some of your diehards. And I've seen it hurt some streamers uh, that play Legacy in the past. Yeah, that, that's an important thing. If you get too tunneled into what you're doing, I, I guess what I mean to say is like it's always good to have like a plan in terms of how you want to expand rather than just do the same thing over and over and over and over again. I think that I've I've fallen into that trap even where I I just don't want I find myself struggling to play other decks than humans. Sometimes because I'm like, I, I should be trying to make this better. I should be trying to, to devote. I should be devoting more time to improving this because this is like what I do or whatever. I don't know. Is that weird? No, I think that's I think that's like kind of important because like here's what I realized is like I don't want to create content that I'm not enjoying creating at some point in time where it's like if I realize that I'm not having fun doing this, then suddenly like it becomes a much more difficult process to create content because it's just like, 
I lose interest really fast. And I also have like the kind of personality where it's like, if I'm not interested in something, I'm not really going to pursue it, right? So me playing Chalice of the Void all day to like, you know, get reach out to another subset of the community, probably not something that I'd be interested in doing. And then like the actual quality of the content gets sacrificed. And then it's just like, you're not actually growing. You're just like spending energy and time not really getting anywhere. But at the same time, it's like, I can't just play Terminus forever, right? I need to find out like the next step, the next best thing to do. Maybe it doesn't have to be like eight hours of Chalice in one day. Maybe I can like try out a Chalice deck to see what it's like under the guise of maybe uh, seeing what it's like from the other perspective when I play Miracles. Um, that's like, you know what I mean? Like you're just bridging um, from one step to the other. So you're still trying to retain like some of the value or some of the things that your, your current viewer base is interested in while also looking at things that other players other people on the internet might want to you know follow and consume the content that they might want to consume so uh this i have two things to say the first one's directly related to what you were saying is uh last year i had some success playing modern where i top aided or I won modern regionals for New York and I think it was either before or after, I can't remember, but I top 16 a team GP where I was the modern seat playing with Wilson. And after that, I had a bunch of people ask me to make more modern content. So I did a couple modern videos and they like modern players just want more and more and more. Like one a week was not enough for everyone. But I got to the point where I wasn't enjoying making these videos. And I think I, at least I can relate directly to what Anurag was saying, where I didn't want to boot my Mac into PC to keep on making modern content because I wasn't enjoying playing it. Like, it's not legacy. I love playing legacy. Modern's fine, but I just don't have the same passion for it. Yeah. And I think eventually after some time, like people will notice, like it becomes observable when you're not having fun because it's just not the same level of, the same level as like the normal stuff that you make. So uh, to go back a little bit, uh, Eddie was talking about what people expect out of you. And I know that recently, whenever I'm getting burnt out on magic online or just like not really in the mood to play moto, let's say like I lost a couple in a row where I felt like I should have won or something along those lines is I've been playing a lot of heroes of might and magic three complete. It's a game that I downloaded from good old games. I used to play it a ton as a kid. And then recently discover that I could play it, you know, again. So I've been playing that. So if I'm streaming the Epic Storm or recording the Epic Storm, and then I all of a sudden one day my followers see that I'm now streaming Heroes 3 of Might and Magic, they might be like, what the fuck's he doing? Uh, like, why is he streaming this? Like, I come here to watch Magic content, and now he's streaming this other game. And I feel like some streamers do that, and that also hurts the ratings because people want to watch Magic and they tune into you to watch a certain or see a certain thing out of you. And magic's one of those games where it doesn't have a lot of crossover. So if like you play a lot of call of duty and you're, you can play pretty much any other first person shooter. Exactly. And people, people will understand it. Right. Where like the difference between magic and heroes of might and magic is they're both like nerdy games, but they're vastly different where they're not really the same thing. You want to hear a real-world example of what you're talking about? Yeah. I would love to. Okay, cool. So, I, you know, when I stream Miracles, like, I, I've seen, like, growth in, like, the number of viewers I get, right? And so, like, on an average day right now, let's say I get about 70 viewers. Uh, about a month ago, um, 
I tried streaming another game, like the new From Software game called Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice or something like that. And I kid you not, I got four viewers on average. And I was so shocked because I I just wasn't expecting that kind of like, what was like, that's almost like a 90%, 95% drop rate um, in, in viewership, right? And like, I thought about it and I was like, why is this happening? And I think a lot of the reasons that you mentioned are exactly what it was, right? Because I've, I've sort of like spent too much time. I spent so much time playing Miracles and not like branching out and looking at other sort of things that just like the people that watch me only watch me like I, I, I made my my niche is like too narrow almost. So would you say that this is uh, something uh, that hurts your brand or separating yourself from your brand could possibly hurt? Yeah, I definitely do. I think I think I should separate myself from being that miracles guy to I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. Like I haven't figured it out myself. Otherwise, I would probably be executing it and stuff like that but like just being that one deck kind of guy probably isn't like i'm at the point where i should try to break out of that yeah i think that kind of comes back to what we were saying about um using something until you can use yourself as the brand right i I think that's the goal for any especially streamers is to find a, a game or in magic's case a deck that can that you can focus on and kind of build a following until you can break out and do whatever you want and still keep that following because people are there for you at that point, right? So I know during the Legacy Premier League, I tried very hard to not play TES because it's what I'm known for. And it wasn't just for like competitive edge. Like I wanted to prove to myself that I could win not playing TES. And I wanted to prove it to the Legacy community as well. Like I did play TES in the first round. I didn't register it for the rest of the event. I played Miracles, I played Aldrazi, I played Dredge, I played, I registered Grixis Control but never got to play it. Uh, I actually, I registered all these different archetypes to prove that I could play them at a competitive level against some of the best players in Legacy. Yeah. Yeah, right? Brian, Brian Cook, Secret Dredge, Dredge F. Shinato. I so. Um, but uh, as far as removing yourself from your brand, I'm probably the worst one at this out of uh, the three of us. Uh I am the Epic Storm. It's just like I live and breathe it. I've spent thousands of hours on theepicstorm.com to the point where, like, I take it personally. Uh, it's not always the best thing. I was baited this week on Reddit where I should have held back, and I ended up making myself look a little bit like an ass. Uh, lesson learned. Uh, probably shouldn't have responded when I was so heated. But it's personal to me because the Epic Storm just isn't a deck to me. It is literally my brand. It's everything I care about. And when you've put this much time into something, it's hard to look the other way when people attack it because I care about it so much. And uh, I'd probably be a little bit better off if I didn't care as much. So it can certainly hurt you. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um... I'm very proud of you, Brian, for, for recognizing that and kind of owning up to that wait okay i'm not gonna lie there's no script here i swear i swear that is something wilson would have said in this situation exactly eddie what how how you feel about joining us full time we don't we don't need a wilson you'd have to shave your head oh yeah that is true you know you would have to shave your head good heavens i don't know that's yeah good heavens there's a lot to unpack here Yes, exactly. Um, no, but I, I I agree. Like at some sort of in some situations, you can get very like getting too attached to like 
certain things regarding your brand can be bad because then it just comes back and like, like, yeah, some people might not necessarily like your content or agree with you and stuff like that. And like, it's, it's really hard. It, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with Brian in that when I, the amount of times that I've been told that humans is just bad DNT and the amount of times I've had to just kind of take a deep breath and say like, okay, that's, this person doesn't understand what's going on or I, I, it's not worth the argument is it's, it's beyond me. All right. So we actually have quite a few sections tonight. So I think we should probably move into section number two, which is streaming. Nice. I like this topic. So real talk, how long have you been streaming for Brian and how long have you been streaming for Eddie? Eddie, why don't you go first? I've probably been on and off streaming for about a year and a half now. I don't do it nearly as often as I'd like to because I'm usually tired or hanging out with my girlfriend or something. But um, it's something that I'm continuously telling myself that I'm going to do more. And I promise I'm going to do it more. (laughs) So I think Anurag is the most consistent person. Uh, I stream whenever I feel like it. So I'm engaged. I bought a house in October. So my free time between editing articles and creating my own content and the podcast. And I'm in, I have my hands in so many baskets or whatever you want to say weird phrases here, but my free time is like very valuable to me and like fixing up my house, my backyard. Like I've been doing all these like small tasks where like the time I have to stream is very small. And do I want to be streaming magic when I have that time? Probably not. So I stream probably once a month. Uh, there will be periods where I stream more often when I'm like really into it. But in general, I don't enjoy it that much personally. But I do have a pretty uh, sweet setup that Anurag recommended to me. Yeah, I mean, I think what I want to capture is just like, what is the allure to streaming? You know what I mean? Like we hear all these stories about all these like esports players and other like big names on Twitch there. They sit at home, they play video games all day and they, they make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you know, that kind of was a little bit of the allure that drew me into it. Right. I was like, wow, this is going to be so much fun. I don't have to go to work anymore. Um, and then I started and just like this whole illusion kind of came crashing down. And I know a lot of people who probably, started from the same like you know at the at the beginning this same may have, may have gone through the same experience um i think what i want like for this segment let's just talk about first like how to get started streaming if this is something that you're interested in doing uh what are like you know the ups and downs I, one of the best things that you know a new person can get is just like advice from people who have gone through the process i think all three of us might have a little bit of uh input here so I guess I'll start off. Um, uh, well, what do you need to stream and uh, where can you acquire the, the necessary tools? So obviously the first thing is you need to have a computer that can play Magic Online. Uh, the computer needs to have um, like a certain degree of uh, hardware. Like it has to have enough hardware to be able to run the program successfully while also streaming at the same time. Um, and there's a lot like building computers and getting into that world is there, there's a lot to it. So, um, just a side note, if you ever need help with any of that sort of stuff, or if you are interested and you don't, you questions that you want to ask, 
feel free to hit me up on Facebook or, you know, just you can send a drop off note in on the eternal glory We will gladly answer any questions that you might have. Um, but yeah, so assuming you've got the hardware done, um, it, it's pretty as simple as like finding the list of devices that are good enough and then just putting it together in a computer. Um, you have to have magic online. And then there's also the recording software, right? So this is called open broadcaster software, which is shortened to OBS and there are multiple versions of OBS that you can download and use to um, stream Magic the Gathering. Uh, of note, there is OBS Studio, and I think in second place, or maybe even first place at this point, is Streamlabs OBS. And Streamlabs is like a company that has uh, worked very hard at making it easy for new people to you know get into streaming. Um, so that's the software. It's a lot more intuitive for newer streamers. And I know, for example, if you're like looking to stream arena, they've got some pretty cool themes and visual effects that can make your stream pop. I love Streamlabs. As someone who does not like to deal with the tedious tinkerings that comes out of, um, a lot of streaming, I think Streamlabs makes it so streamlined, uh, pun not intended, but it just makes it so easy for me to just pop it open, choose a theme, and get going. It's great. So I've used both. I don't use a theme or anything like that, but I've just found that I think Streamlabs OBS is a lot more intuitive, uh, which is something, like, as a graphic designer, I care about. Like, I don't have to spend time figuring out what does what and where things are. Like, it's just a better-built program, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's actually a very important part. And like the reason, so full disclosure, I don't use Streamlabs OBS. I use OBS Studio. And the only reason I don't use Streamlabs OBS is because it is a little bit newer. So it doesn't, it's not like completely fully fledged in terms of like features that I personally need, um, which is extremely nuanced. Like it was just a small detail and that's why. So that's why I use OBS Studio. What do you uh, use that OBS or Streamlabs doesn't use? I'm curious. Uh, so I, one thing I like to do during my streams, I like to play, uh, music, those hot bops that Eddie was talking about earlier. And one of the downsides to Streamlabs OBS is that it doesn't let you separate your microphone music or sorry, your microphone audio from the music you're playing in the background. And so this is sort of, um, important. And I guess we haven't actually addressed this at all, but in terms of like monetization and things like that, um, copyright infri infringements, like has a there's a you know that'll stop you from putting a lot of stuff on the internet that you might normally um i don't know if that's true not think of uh, because like correct me if i'm wrong but uh you can set up multiple inputs and outputs so you should be able to have one as a mic and then if you want your music you could set it as the desktop sound and then you could just have it pick up all that yeah, but when you like download the, I, I don't know, whenever I tried it, like I tried to like save my recordings and then view the separate audio channels in the actual software. So this is like a little bit of a deep dive. So I uh, won't talk about it too long, but like when I, when I looked at it in like, you know, my editing software, I wasn't able to distinguish the two. And so every time I tried to upload it to YouTube, it was oh. like, Hey, we're going to demonetize this video because you've got Kanye West in the background. Okay. I don't always like Kanye West, but like I got a couple of, yeah, or, you know, just like. I don't know, Beyonce. We can't go wrong with Beyonce, right? Yeah, like, you know, I've got her music in the background or something. And it's like, yeah, that's not allowed. And then yeah, demonetized and then whatever. And that's that's kind of a big deal for someone who like, like honestly, like for me, stream, uh, streaming is a hobby, but I've also put so much money and time into it that it's like, yeah, it would be nice if I could get some sort of like return on it. 
speaking of which, congratulations on becoming a Twitch uh, partner. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was tough. Yeah, that's that is awesome. definitely. Yeah, I guess we could talk about that too at some point, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll stick on topic for now. We'll, if we get to it, we get to it. Um, but. But yeah, so so it, it, all in all, Streamlabs, OBS, great if you're just starting in terms of software. OBS Studio has a couple more nuances. It's 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 different um, for sure. I would definitely recommend Streamlabs though. Cool. Yeah, and there will be links to all these sort of things that we're talking about in the description uh, below or for, for the, the the notes or whatever for the episode. So if you are interested in pursuing, check them out for sure. Um, but yeah, so that's like software-oriented stuff. And then there's the whole deal of... of like hardware, external hardware equipment. And I've learned a lot through my, you know, just time streaming. I will, I will first of all tell you this. Um, don't sweat it. The hardware is not the end-all be-all of uh, streams. I've seen a lot of very high, you know, profile streamers, and they just have like next to nothing. Um, which is fine. You, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, streaming is just about like the sort of content you create and like what you're doing when you are live. You know, you don't necessarily have to have a $2,000 DSLR camera capturing, you know, the freckles on your nose or like the highest quality mic, you know, listen in on all your burps. But uh... one thing I would even say is if if you don't have all the equipment and you're interested in, in streaming, just just do it. And if you like it, it'll it'll motivate you to buy those things. That's that's kind of what happened with me. Is I had kind of really standard um, stuff lying around, and I, I I loved it. It was a lot of fun to stream, and it just made me want to buy stuff that would make that environment better for me and the people watching. Streaming, I think, for me is like I view it as a hobby and not as like a source of income. It is for fun, and whatever comes out of it comes out of it, right? Um, so to that end, it's like, I'm not going to like take a month's salary and, and invest it into streaming unless I really want to. Um, it's just not necessary. So I guess we'll, let's just go down the list and we'll talk about some of the separate items that we all use and like, you know, we'll just give feedback. So I think the most important thing, more important than anything else is, and I'm skipping around, but microphones, right? So if I'm streaming Magic the Gathering, what's most important for me, is to communicate my thoughts. You don't have to necessarily see me to hear how I'm thinking, right? Um, and obviously, if to communicate your thoughts, you've got to talk into some sort of device, so microphones, right? Audio quality, somewhat important. If I can't hear you, I just go somewhere else and listen to someone else who's able to talk to me and interact with me. What kind of uh, microphones do you guys use? I use a Blue Yeti. I also use a Blue Yeti. Nice. Is there any reason you pick up this mic in particular? It was a gift from my fiance for uh, the holidays. Oh, okay. That's cute. Um, I did a lot of research on microphones, and at the time I was just looking for a standard gaming headset that would sound good, but I figured out that just for what I wanted to do and for the price, uh, Blue Yeti at $100 sounds incredible and just does what I need to do. It, it Good quality sound at a really valuable or good price yeah i think uh that's also what i've heard in terms of like internet reviews and stuff everyone is suggesting the blue yeti as like the intro mic for people who are 
streaming. I, I know like it's, it's not even really that necessary because I know like, for example, Bob will stream and he'll just use his laptop web, uh, webcam mic or whatever. And it's still completely audible. It might, it might pick up a little bit of static and ca uh, crackling there here and there, but completely audible in terms of like, you know, a viewer from a viewer's experience. So uh, I've gone back and watched a bunch of my old YouTube uh, videos pre Yeti and post Yeti. I actually think that the difference is night and day. Uh, between what uh, standard, like, iMac, I use an iMac when I record, but, like, the iMac built-in microphone and the Yeti, there's so much background noise when I go back and listen to them compared to what I have now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I will say one thing, though, and this is, like, I think um, the reality of diminishing returns definitely exists in terms of technology you can buy for your stream. Like, the difference between the $100 yet Blue Yeti and like a $2,000 um, uh, Blue Yeti mic or whatever, I think they have like a really fancy version. It's like not necessary, nor is it worth it. Yours is a little on the on the snazzier side, right, Anurag? Yeah, so I use an Audio-Technica 2035, and I combined it with a UR Steinberg Mark II audio driver device thingy, part of like the Yamaha... I don't know, some random, just like throwing words out there. But like the, the, the point is, is just like, that's like a little bit higher end, but it, all in all, like maybe like 200 bucks, I think for, for both of those. But like, I would say that my audio quality compared to the audio quality I hear on like Eddie's stream or, or, you know, Brian's stream or YouTube videos is, is, is it's almost negligible, right? So maybe the point that I'm trying to get across is like, here are a couple devices that you could look into. Don't sweat it if you don't, if you don't have, if you don't have a $2,000 mic. So uh, one of the things I first noticed is when I got my Blue Yeti is when I was setting it up and getting it like hooked up to my computer and OBS and everything else is I noticed there was a little bit of like a, like a static or like a humming. And what I found from like following YouTube videos on instructions on how to set it up properly and all this stuff is one of the worst things that you can do when you have a nice microphone is have it sitting on your desk because it will pick up vibrations from your mouse, from your computer. It might not sound like your computer's humming, but it is. Uh, like, your computer's always working, and when you tap on your keyboard, the mic picks up the vibration, and you just get, like, tiny bits of sound that end up in your final product. And if you can live with that, that's fine. Or you could pick up a boom stand. Uh, they're pretty cheap. I think I spent $15 on Amazon. Uh, I got all of my stuff right around the holidays because I was so pumped. I actually went out and spent like $400 on my streaming slash uh, video stuff, and we'll get to all of that. But the boom stand was really cheap, and it completely eliminates all that vibration. So you get a much clearer sound at a very little cost. Yeah, that's actually probably one of the more useful things, right? It's just like bang for buck. Whenever you're like looking for equipment to buy for your stream, bang for buck is probably like the most relevant slash important thing like after a while let's say like you're raking in revenue from like streaming or content creation or youtube or whatever then you can afford to splurge on like like the one percent two percent gains but like when you're you know for new for new streamers like you go on amazon and you look up like the newer microphone arm that's a good buy because it's just like cheap and it solves a lot of problems um other things you could buy are like pop filters for example those are a little bit less necessary um but you know does still help with the audio to a degree. I will say that I think pop filters are super necessary. They, I think they, they, they increase the longevity of your mic by a fair amount. 
That's interesting. Okay. They were originally created, according to what I read when I bought one, is to keep people from spitting on the mic because that's what makes them die faster. But uh, some people like to pretend that they make your P's and T's less harsh. I don't know if I buy that. We call them plosives. It just makes it look cooler when I'm pretending to freestyle into my microphone, honestly. Yeah. Can I can I tell you something really like uh, like cheesy? I, I told this to Ved, but part of the reason that I set up my mic this way is because like I really wanted to. This was just me. Like I wanted to live the the stream dream and at least look like the part. So I had like my mic coming up from under me and it like looked really cool and stuff. And the pop filter sort of added like an element of like like genuineness to it and it doesn't actually like do as much as like i attribute to it but it certainly like made me feel better uh, it was fun i guess that that's like the, the thing that i want to get across which again is at the end of the day like why i can't create content right because it's it's fun so i don't know that's the real reason why i bought a pop filter i'll be i'll be straight up honest. <laughs> i don't really care about my plosives like whatever i already thought that you um, were cool on rock you didn't need the pop filter thanks to thanks mom thanks dad and my mom so uh, I know that Anurag and I both use green screens. They're not necessary, uh, but they're pretty goddamn cool. I know that uh, Patrick Uglo also uses one when he streams. He should fix his chroma key, though, because uh sometimes picks up a little bit of uh, static behind him. And that happens when your lighting isn't done well. So uh, Anurag and I both use the Elgato that you can buy on Amazon. If you go to their site, they actually just link you back to Amazon. Uh, it's 150 bucks, uh, which is kind of expensive for a green screen because you can get cheaper ones for 25 that like attach to the back of your chair. But then if you swivel, you can like get part of the back of your room behind you or the ones that are like folded cloth that hang on like a black stands. Those ones, the folds actually pick up if you don't iron them out or flatten them where the Elgato, uh, it works like a like a banner at like a trade show where it's collapsible and it doesn't fold at all. So you have very, there's no lines, there's none of that. And it looks very good. The setup time is under a minute. Like you just pull it up, snap it in a place and you're pretty much all set. Uh, so the time to set it up is pretty small. I know that some of the stands with the folded cloth can take 10, 15 minutes. Uh, but the lighting uh, Anurag and I actually do it differently. He front lights himself uh, and then uses that light on the green screen as well, where I backlight my green screen and then use different lights to light me. Yeah, that's actually pretty important. I, wait, no, hold up. Actually, before we get into this, we'll, we'll return to this. But one thing I want to mention is, okay, so I said the most important thing was to get like a microphone, right? So that you can talk to your viewers, interact with your chat. The other thing that I would also say, like the next step was probably just to just get like a webcam, a camera, so that you can actually show your face um, so that people can see who you are. It's easy, f like, to get to know the person a little bit better when they're not just a voice behind the screen. You, you just, like, sort of, like, I don't know if this is a word or not, but humanitize the streamer. They're, they're human, too. And then you can start working on, you know, creating a bond between, you know, yourself and the viewer and, you know, the things like that. So I think the, the de facto, uh, the go-to webcam that is like tried and true and basically everybody uses is the logitech c920 it's affordable it's reliable how many of you guys use it be honest with me i definitely use it it's great imac built-in camera oh nice i have two c920s that i use uh they're just that wow good. yeah i know exactly right but yeah so that's 
that's i would just say pick up that microphone you can find it super cheap like 40 50 bucks when it's on sale um but then the important thing is is like rather than spending like 500 dollars on an, another microphone it's just way easier to work on like your lighting for example because the amount of money that i spent on my lighting has basically improved the quality of my camera way more than spending more money on just like a higher quality camera uh like bang for your buck that's what it is do you guys um, recommend any specific light? Because I don't use any lighting. I rely on my natural glow. Um, <laughs> so if you guys have any good recommendations, I think I, I'd love to hear it as much as anyone so else. So Anurag and I, he sent me his setup a while ago, and I just like stole a bunch of things out of it. Uh, so we have the same lights that we both purchased off Amazon. So after I bought mine, I actually had an issue where one of mine came in the... I don't even know what to call it. So it comes with... Uh, like this big wing, because these are like uh, professional photography lights where it then has a white screen over it so that way you're not hit with harsh light. Well, the part that you screw the light bulb into that connects to the stand on one of mine, because it's a two-pack, was actually just broken. So I was like, oh, well, that's strange. So I contact the company, and they just don't respond for three days. And then Amazon was like, oh, we'll just ship you a brand new setup. You can just ship us back uh the one that doesn't work and if all three work just ship back one of them so that way you have two working ones and the company got back to me like two weeks later but by then i had already fixed everything through amazon but once they were working i actually liked them a lot they just take up a little bit of room uh i want to say there was like 40 bucks for two lights it's called softbox lighting and i think it's what they use in those like professional like model shoots or whatever but they probably have like really fancy ones random thing that i saw on the internet apparently like elgato has their own set of like led panels that are super expensive and i'm just like drooling over the thought of them but i know i don't need it because these softbox lights are just like very very efficient and uh, functional so yeah lighting is important once i don't know if i would that's interesting so like i think a mic and a webcam are like pretty crucial the lighting is something that you know you can like grind out matches for and like buy using some spare tickets that you might win with uh, you know on magic online or something i don't know let's see what else is there other than that honestly like i don't really use too much there's not much more tech that i think would be really necessary and i guess that's kind of intuitive right they just need to see you and hear what you say so uh, you should probably set up your twitch and your twitch key with your obs uh, a lot of people have some frustrations when that when they first start out. I know I did. Uh, never show anyone your Twitch key ever. Uh, if anyone's trying to have you show them, you should just ban them forever. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like giving them your credit card information. They can start streaming to your account and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll have uh, links to all of these products in the show notes, so that way you don't have to find them on your own. But uh, then there's. Also, some, uh, sorry, one sec. I, I just want to point something out. We're not affiliated with any of this stuff, by the way. I just want to like get that out there. Like, this is all stuff that I've personally used and like researched and like, I just like personal experience. That's where this is all coming from. So, yeah. yeah then there's uh, some like additional things that you can do, like uh, adding on. Wilson would be very upset if we didn't mention this card, cardboard live. <laughs> cardboard life yeah no cardboard life it's something that you could add to your stream that just adds like a little bit of flair uh it's kind of cool that way um what are other things that you could do i know that i run full screen ads you can also run like banner ads so i just realized this last week is that uh through obs when i set up all of my ads whenever i switched ads it would cut out all of my audio 
So whenever I switched to an ad and I was talking, just no one ever got that. It took me like, I've been doing the ads for like four months now and I just realized it. (laughs) (laughs) Why is no one responding to me? Nice. I'm an adult. And then uh, you're sponsored by uh, Card Hoarder, right? Yeah, so I am sponsored with by by Card Hoarder, and that's kind of like one way to grow the stream. Sponsorships are kind of cool because it's like one an early form of income. I don't I don't know I don't have much to say about that in terms of like new streaming, but that is definitely that you could like look towards like as a goal to obtain like grow your stream to the point where you can provide something useful to uh, a company and they can provide something useful back to you. Um, my relationship with Card Hoarder is super sweet in that you know they. I have a loaner account with them, a streamer account, and they, you know, let me borrow cards whenever I need to. In return, you know, I talk about a lot of their products and stuff like that. But yeah, that's just like extra material that you could put on just like as a way to convert, you know, your hobby of streaming Twitch into, I guess, like dollars in your back pocket. Um, But I think even more important than trying to like look at how to generate revenue off of Twitch is to sort of identify that it's, supposed to be a hobby it's it's harder it's harder to succeed when you view it as like a monetary you know source of source of income basically more important than that is like building a community and then creating good content and then naturally the dollars will start start coming in so in terms of building a following um brian talk to me what what, what are some of your accomplishments and how did you get them so usually i think it comes with success uh, people like watching people that are good at something. Uh, I know it's tough to say, but if you start out and you're not very good, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of people watching you unless they're trying to help you become better, which is certainly a way that you can get people to engage with you. But most of the most successful streamers, in my opinion, are people that are just incredibly good at magic, using it as a way of teaching people how to become better. Uh and the best way of showing people that you're good is, you know, spiking an event or two. Yep, that's a pretty good point. Um, I guess other ways that you could build a following. I think when I first started streaming and I had zero followers, I would literally just like put on my Facebook, hey, I'm streaming, click this. Go to Facebook, like look at all the messengers, like all the chats that I'm a part of and just be like, this is my link. And I still do this to this day where I just like say, I'm streaming, here's my link. People click it, people come do that people will come like your closest friends your your family you know they'll watch that sort of thing can i just take a second the other day my mom said she watched me stream and this is the first time she ever mentioned anything about it and i was like bright red because the person that i am in front of my mom is just very very different from my persona online you guys ever experienced anything like that yeah i don't know anyways so yeah like obviously just like reach out to people you know very well I think uh, it takes time. social media in general is really big for any for that sort of thing in general. Um, mm-hmm. I know uh, before I was trying to make humans my my thing. I guess I didn't use Twitter. I was very against Twitter. I was as uh, the curmudgeon of of using Twitter. And then I was like, maybe maybe I should use Twitter. Maybe maybe this is a tool. And ever since then, it's just helped my case of the whole humans is a good deck. This is what you should be doing thing. So I think uh, another thing that gets downplayed a lot is having a schedule when you stream, because if people know, hey, I work a nine to five, but uh, Caleb Schur, for example, I don't know if he still does, but he would stream Modern Storm 
Monday to Friday during work hours. And his streams have thousands of people tuning in because he streams at a time in the day where there where there's not a lot of competition because one, not a lot of people stream modern, like uh, especially nowadays with arena. A lot of people are streaming arena. So he's streaming a format like legacy that, you know, has less uh, people playing it, but it's also at an opportune time of the day. So uh, having a schedule of saying, Hey, I'm going to stream Monday to Friday from 11 AM to 5 PM. You're going to have people tuning in more regularly because they're a interested in you specifically because you fit their schedule and B because you're reliable. No, I think um, one thing to point out is um, it, being consistent and having a schedule like Brian was mentioning is so important because especially over the last couple months, um, I think you guys might have noticed too, there are a lot of people streaming Legacy and a lot of them doing it at the same time, which is great. As as someone who loves just devouring content, I, I, I love it because I always have someone to watch. Um, but what that means is I have to pick someone to watch. Yeah, so I think this is uh, kind of a problem with the legacy community. It's a lot of us are real adults and have jobs. So uh, there's Anurag who lives on the West Coast who often streams during work when he's supposed to be working. Uh, cough, cough, shame, shame. But uh, I know, for example, we're going to skip ahead a little bit, but some notable legacy streamers would be Jarvis U, Phil Gallagher, um, Arkin. They all stream at night and all on similar days and like a similar time. So like the, you, they often end up competing for views where Anurag, I'll tune into his stream. He'll have 150 people in his chat being active because he streams during work hours or at least towards the end of work. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say. Okay. Yeah. The reason that a schedule, another reason that having a schedule is important is because at the end of the day, right, you are not just like the relationship between a streamer and a viewer is absolutely important like to this day there are people that i've just never met in real life that i know just like you know by who like they're they're twitch handled right and like you develop this relationship and that's what gets people to come back to you right so the first an easy way to start that relationship is just by saying hey look i'm gonna be here at this time of the week you're more than welcome to join and you know let's hang out you know you just put yourself out there kind of deal and people will come if they like you they come back and if you keep showing up at the same time, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's just like one way to develop um, your relationship with people. Just say like, it's like when you want to go out on a date, right? You say, hey, let's meet up here at this time. It's almost the same thing. Um, just picking a time and place to hang out, to become friends. Uh, so, yeah. One, one, one thing, actually, we're just change, changing the beat here a little bit, though, is that what I've realized is that streaming as a hobby I like trying to make it something more than just a hobby it takes up a lot of time um not just streaming itself i mean that alone is just like four or five hours a day where i'm sitting in front of a computer you know playing magic the gathering and talking to people but even like off stream it's just like there's a lot of work that i put into the stream to make it better to you know entice other people to come in and check it out um how does life get affected when you guys create content I was going to say, um, in regards to what Anurag said, and streaming taking a lot of time and devotion, is um, don't don't fall into the trap of, if you're streaming for fun, don't compare yourself to people who are streaming full-time. Those people are dedicating and spending a lot of time on their stream, and it, it's their full-time job. 
if that's not your full-time job, that's okay. Yeah, I think it's also very important with the MPL. There's people like Paulo Vitor, Dominic Rosa streaming now, and Brian Brondwin, who are insane Magic players that, like, what's, uh, can't think of his name, uh, Canadian pro, streamed for the first time and had 1,500 people watching him. His first time ever streaming. Alex Hain, I think that's his name. Oh, Alexander yeah, Hain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But cool, cool guy. It was just pretty crazy that his first time ever streaming, he had that many people watching him. Uh, why don't we move on to section three, articles. So let's say you have some notoriety. Let's say you spiked a star city and you want to start making content. Uh, so there's a few ways that people normally get started. So uh, connections, you might know the content editor or you, it doesn't have to be Star City, it can be any website. So there's actually a bunch of them. There's like Gathering Magic, Hipsters of the Coast, MTG Goldfish, MTG Mint Card. And then there's bigger ones like Star City and Channel Fireball and, you know, the Epic Storm, huge one. Uh, that's sarcasm. Uh, but like usually these people will contact you. Uh, if they are interested in you writing or they think that you, you could possibly be good for their brand, because that's typically what it is, is they think that you have potential to grow their viewership. Uh, so most likely they'll contact you. I know that years ago when I first started playing SCGs, I was already fairly well known from MTG, the source, but Ruben Bressler thought that I could possibly be a good fit for Star City. So I wrote a couple articles for them. Uh, and then I read, ended up writing for Jupiter Games because I was grinding their monthly tournament series. Uh, but they add has me. Let's say uh, you haven't been asked by anyone. There's a couple other things that you can do. Uh, you can contact people that you may know that might know the editors of these sites. Or you could just email them. I know that uh, some people have had success from just emailing Star City and being like, hey, I'd like to write about this topic. And they're like, okay, well, I'll write something and uh, send it to us. Uh, if it's good, they'll likely publish it. And if it's not, you probably won't hear from them. But you have to take risks in order to succeed in magic and content creation especially. So if you're not going to put forth the work, you're just not going to get anywhere because it's a lot of work. I know that I mentioned it earlier, but I put thousands of hours into theepicstorm.com. You just have to put in the effort and eventually you'll get where you want to go. Yeah, actually, this is kind of interesting to hear because from my perspective, I've never actually done like written content for um, any website. Actually, that's a, that's a lie. I did write one article in my lifetime. Was it for theepicstorm.com? It was. It was for theepicstorm.com. Nailed it. Um, so I, I and I remember like I wrote basically like my life story, and it was extremely intense. Anurag has this blank face like he's getting that intenseness back in him. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like um, he's feeling it. The hard part maybe for articles is just like coming up with the content to also create, especially when you're like, um, especially when you're like, uh, when you're doing it like, you know, professionally like you're expected to write like per, like an article per week or something like that right you have to keep things fresh got to find things to write about like i was having trouble coming up with answers for just like one article right so like i mean brian well what is it like you know working the week to week trying to figure out like um 
how to keep things, how to keep your like user base interested. So I found that one of the easiest things, and you'll notice this with the epicstorm.com, is people have series. So Anthony Laverde, he does Through the Looking Glass. He interviews people about how they fight TES. So this way, people that play various decks like Dragon Stomp, your Elves, or Miracles, they're reading about TES, but at the same time, TES players are reading about how beating Miracles. So you're getting both sides. You're also bringing people that may normally not visit your site to come and view you because you're having content about their deck. So this way you're establishing communication between two different groups uh for then there's like the infernal tutoring series where it's people saying hey i would do this here which is very similar to streaming because you're getting different inputs but it's in written form so article series are pretty easy but if you want to write one-offs every single month eventually it's going to become very difficult because selecting a topic every week is not very easy yeah i see you um are there any other do's or don'ts that you want to include in, in uh, discussing articles? Uh, so I'm going to attack one of your best friends here, uh, Anurag. Bobert Huang. Uh, he wrote an article that drove me nuts a couple months ago. And this isn't his fault because tons of magic con- content creators do this. Is they'll write an article where they'll have like eight different deck lists and then just a paragraph about each deck list. Drives me insane. I feel like they're the bottom level of magic content creation. Uh, because... We're able to all look at a deck list and see like the different things about it. Like if I look at a miracles list and they're not running what uh, red, I'm like, okay, so they're not running power blast or oh, this list has back to basics. But if they have like a spicy card in there, like a Gideon or uh, an exalted angel, one of my favorite creatures, uh, I'm gonna be able to see that. I don't need you to point that out and be like, hey, this list had an exalted angel. I wonder why. And then <laughs> next deck list. And I'm not saying that Bob's my explanations are that simple but it feels cheap to me like when i read articles i want to learn something not just look at a deck list i agree i think those articles are less personable i guess um for me the best articles are the the ones that the writer really um gets their personality on paper i guess um like recently daniel groschel wrote about his experience at um, Grand Prix Niagara Falls, and his article was great because it was very Daniel. And it is ex- oh my god, I can I cannot understate how Daniel that article was. He literally so for, if you haven't checked it out yet, just it's on ChannelFireball.com, and he literally starts off with 800 words about what he thinks the best approach for a Grand Prix is, and the 800 you know first word is like. And that's exactly what I did not do for this grand prix. And I was just like <laughs> cackling because it's exactly like, you know, like his 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 galaxy brain is just all over the place and he's like way smarter than I am. So it's just really interesting like reading it from his perspective and, and hearing it. Um I, I do like this idea of where basically, Bryant, what you're trying to get at is is just like you want to send across a meaningful message. You want to be able to provide, you know, some value of in, some level of insight. I, I think it's also really good to like treat your viewers as i mean like they're smart people like everybody who's playing magic the gathering is is you know they're just like one of the core things about magic the gathering is that you're just trying to get into like complex thinking and so that's maybe where like in terms of what you want to be doing for writing 
is to, to retain that. You want to be discussing the more complex aspects. For example, if you do write about eight deck lists, not not just you know post, post the deck lists and be like, yeah, this is sweet. This guy's got Pyroblast and it's good against blue decks. You could say like, explain like why Pyroblast might be well positioned in the meta versus not playing uh, you know Pyroblast or something like that. You just go a little bit like deeper, take it to the next level. Um, oh, oh my God! And can we please one more one more thing? Grammar issues should never exist. Um, in, in, in articles. I feel like there's so many free resources on the internet that will literally check this sort of stuff for you. Um, what's that one called? Grammarly? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that was easy. Grammarly, yeah, yeah. Like, sim- as simple as using something like that, or even like spell checking like Microsoft Word, you know what I mean? Those little squiggly green lines go a long way. Yeah, exactly. So sort of tagging on what, what we were saying is write about something that you care about, something that you're very passionate about, because it'll show like those deckless articles like they they often feel like they're phoned in like, hey, I had to get an article out this week or this month. Uh, let's do this. But if you're writing about, let's say, Red and Miracles and you have 2000 words, like I know that's something that you care about and that you're very passionate about and something that's going to be interesting to me, at least. Yeah. And don't definitely don't be afraid to get more eyes on it. One thing I always do anytime I write anything about anything is I, I send it over to my good friend Max Gilmore and just have him review it like three times because I, I just know I made some mistake and it's great. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it, it, like I'm my biggest enemy where I'll just like write tens of tens, ten things or I'll like ramble on a podcast and go on and on and on. And I'll just like I need like Brian and Wilson and, and you, Eddie, to just like be like, hey. Return to reality. This is what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Like an, a fresh set of eyes, another you know head to think about things is uh, is 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 always nice. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I guess there are other things, other forms that we should talk about. So I guess I mean, let's briefly talk about I guess like websites and podcasts. So uh, you wouldn't believe the number of times I've received like a message on the epicstorm.com that says, "Hey, I'm interested in interested in starting my own website." how do I do this? And I'm like, Hey, you should check out like Wix.com or uh, a WordPress theme. And they're like, well, I don't really want to do that. I want to make my own. And I tell them, Hey, I've spent thousands of hours on creating my site. It's not like I downloaded a magic theme and then just like did this. Like everything on my site is custom coded. Uh, I've done it all myself. I have a web design background. So if you want to do it, it's going to be hours and hours and hours. And it's so much time. And I know I've said that five times this episode but that's the truth you have to be willing to put in the work and one of my favorite ones i received and i'm sorry if you're listening to this and uh this makes you feel bad but i hope it doesn't is this person messaged me asking if uh i would tell them how to how to create a following because they want to be the me of belcher and i was just like well normally you have to a have results but b uh, like have people care what you have to say, which is something that's tough to do with content creation. So like you, does that person know that you're the you of black Belcher? <laughs> uh, at the time, I don't think black Belcher existed yet. Uh, wholesome meme, but this person wanted to make a Belcher site and I like sent them the resources to Wix and WordPress themes and all these other sort of things. And they're just like, eh, this doesn't seem worth it. And then that was the last I heard of it. Uh, same thing for like Ant. Uh, I know that Dugs on Twitch just launched a Maverick website, which looks pretty sweet. Uh, he's asked me a ton of questions on Twitter. Seems like a, a nice guy. Uh, Julian 
from uh, Everyday Eternal he has a pretty sweet site. It's Julian.com, where he talks about various things, not just elves. Uh, so I know that Julian has also put in a lot of time with especially Legacy Premier League, which I hope comes back for another season. Uh, people should donate to their content creators, which is something that's actually not in our show notes. But not even to us. Don't donate to us because I'm not trying to get guilt people into donating money. But legacy streamers and so many other people, they deserve money for what they're doing for the community. And I feel like Magic players in general are very frugal and they don't support people that are helping others learn. Um, yeah, so I guess that was my rant. But uh, one of the things with websites is if you're the one running it, there's so much management that goes into it and I've learned so much between like editing. I edit several articles every month and I'm always learning and trying to improve uh, because I'm not an editor. Uh, so my background is in visual things. So I've learned a lot about writing. Um, you also have to manage a team, which, you know, I've certainly made some mistakes in the past, but I've learned a lot. And it's certainly interesting being put in that position where you're managing a team of seven to 10 people writing for you. And then, uh, archiving. So like you could write an article or someone on your site could write an article, but then people need to be able to find it in the future. Because like, if there's an article on, um, how to properly sideboard or sideboard mapping, and you wrote it in 2015, but now it's 2019, how are people going to find this? Because they need to know where on your site they can go to find this sort of topic because things will get buried eventually. Yeah, one thing I'll say is um, make, uh, with the whole things on websites, is make life easier on yourself. I mean, even, I'm, I'm a software developer, but there's no way I'm going to go out and build a website from scratch. Um, it's awesome that Bryant has done that and his website is absolutely beautiful, but leverage tools, use stuff like Square and Wix, um, and people will care about the content, not what's behind the scenes in many cases. Yeah. I'm going to also just like roll back and say that's kind of the same thing for streaming, right? Like the, this, the most important thing at the end of the day is like the content that you put out there, right? Like something as simple you don't need like fancy graphics or things like that so long as the message that you're getting across the your, your personality you know those sort of things the more subjective things you put effort into those and and developing developing that sort of stuff um i i do appreciate and i and i've, I've heard a lot of like positive feedback on like all the nooks and crannies that i've or like the small things that i've tweaked to make you know my stream a little bit better but at the end of the day it's it's 90 percent the content, the content, the content, the content. So like, there's no reason to kill yourself on that 10%. No reason to reinvent the wheel. You know, use a simple stream overlay, some like, you know, pre-made sort of thing. And then once you get into streaming, after that, you can take some time to slowly like tweak and upgrade, you know, your your your, your call, uh, the, the quality of your stream. You know, like, like Bryant is saying, no reason to hand code your own website because that alone in and of itself takes way more effort than just like you know talking to wordpress or wix or whatever so yeah sim simple is okay you know you're not you're not competing with people based on just the visuals of your stream it's it's again at the end of the day like i just want to hammer this down if there's one thing that you get from this if you're like trying to create content or trying to get into creating content it is the quality of the content itself like what you are saying and the message that you're trying to get across um, that matters more than 
anything else. So I guess we'll use that to segue into the, the final section in terms of uh, like the media that you can create. And that is like podcasts. I don't have that much experience with this. I'll be honest. Let's talk about the genesis of this podcast. What actually happened? So Wilson, who's not with us today, um, he was a part of the brainstorm show, you know, for a long time, some 30 odd episodes. Um, and he and Bryant reached out to me and they're like, Hey, let's just get on and talk about stuff and see how it goes. And that is literally how this podcast began. Um, and it's going pretty well. I enjoyed, I have fun in terms of what we did. I mean, a podcast is pretty simple, right? Like you just need a good microphone, um, a little bit of like editing, and then you just need to talk about stuff. If it works out, it works out, that kind of thing. It is, I will say, the most important thing from from my perspective is that since you're in, interacting with other hosts of the show, you need to have really good chemistry between them. And, and what I mean by that is like, you should be able to finish each other's... Sandwiches. Exactly, sandwiches. I... I, I, I can I be honest with you? I was really hoping you'd say sandwiches and not sentences. So heart, heart eyes. But yeah, like that, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it has to be chill. Like, you know, obviously like if there's like weird tensions and dramas, like people will be able to hear that out. You know, it'll be like awkward where when you like try to cut someone else off or this or that, like chemistry is very important. You need to like be able to like have a create like a, I guess, um, not even like a funny environment because you can have serious podcasts and things, but like a healthy environment where it's just like you, you and your hosts and whoever you're with, um, sort of built off of each other. You know what I mean? Like that's what makes that might in my in my mind at least that's what makes podcasts interesting is just like to see like how one person interacts with another and like how those interactions make the whole listening experience much more interesting so keep that in mind when you are choosing i mean i'm not going to pretend like i i I know everything about podcasts but intuitively that's what i would say is to keep track of um to to be good at well i know personally i only i listen to several legacy podcasts uh whenever they come out and i listen to the ones that i think there's good chemistry and good back and forth like the ones that are pretty dry and i'm not going to name them I'll skip episodes because I'm just like, eh, I'm not really in the mood to listen to this. And I think that at least I hope that we have good chemistry here. Uh, there's been some comments on Reddit that say that we do. So I hope that's true. But the ones that are pretty dry, it's just tough to get through an entire episode because I think that you lose interest partially the way through. And I'm not even the best at talking. So it's definitely Anurag and Wilson carrying this one. Yikes. I will say from uh, a uh, outside perspective, I you guys your guys's dynamic is great you all have your roles that you play that i think bounce off of each other really well you have bryant i see you as the uh the the cynic that is not afraid to question everything um wilson just literally questions everything and anurag is just the happiest person in the world all the time so you want to know something funny when I graduated my my eighth grade math math class, not graduated, but uh, we were in like a special. It was like three students, and we were like super super like we were like in the advanced math class, right? My math teacher literally said we have the old guy, the guy who's definitely going to Harvard, and this puppy. And I was like, I know which one is me. And honestly, like that's probably now that I think about it, that's probably like the best thing anyone could have ever said about me. Anyways, continue. Sorry, that was just like random. But go ahead. No, I mean that's. I thought you were the Harvard. Yeah, right. <laughs> Me, Harvard. That's going to be my my child. Yeah. No, I and that's I 
that's a perfect example of you being Anurag, and it's great. So, Anurag, I know that you do a lot of audio editing for the Eternal Glory podcast. Why don't you uh, talk about that briefly? Okay. I'll be very, very honest, because I guess I shouldn't do it any other way. I actually just don't like editing the podcast, because it's it's pretty time-consuming. So, what I'm trying to say with this is, like, be warned. It is a lot of work if you are trying to create, like, a... I mean, I'm not going to say that I, I do, like, a, a bomb job or whatever, but, like... Like, like, I think like the editing on the podcast does make it a little bit better. And it is a lot of work, right? Because these podcasts are long. You want to go through and, like, take out all the parts that, like, just, like, don't make sense. Or, like, the ums and the ahs. Like, in the last episode, we were talking about this before the show. I said the word um. I edited myself saying the word um about 60, 70 times before I lost count. So it was more than that. So, like, those kind of things, right? You want to make sure that you're, what you're doing sounds good, looks good. Um shit let's see like i gotta edit that one out or maybe i won't i don't know we'll see don't do it but uh i guess we'll use this as a shameless plug and i wasn't planning on saying this but if you're super super into editing audio and would like to try to edit our podcast we might even pay you a small amount we'll see how that goes maybe possibly uh anurag really doesn't like editing and if we trust you that would be nice yeah so it's it's a little bit tough for me right now i'm not even like using too fancy too much fancy software it's just like adobe premiere pro it's like 20 bucks a month or something like that uh, i use it for other things too so that's why i can get good value out of it but that's the the software that i use i'm pretty sure you could like use audacity as well to sort of cut and crop and realign things together um there are a number of podcast creators out there that you could also reach out and ask and see how they edit their content but yeah, that's about it. it. It takes a lot of time, and it's it's sort of it's 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 like the like you're like you're an adult, and you get to go out and you get to drink alcohol and you get to have fun, but then you have to come home and do your taxes, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, that that's exactly correct. Audio editing is like the taxes of of making podcasts. It sucks, whatever it has to be done. And honestly, like it is kind of I, I learn a lot doing it, so I uh, it's cool like that. So yeah, I don't know. All right, so let's just uh, close this shit out. Hey, Eddie. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, can, can you believe we tricked Eddie into taking almost... We started at like 6.30, and it's like 8.30 now. We, we took two hours of his life. So, honestly, Eddie, thanks for coming out. That was that was awesome, and we would love to have you back again. Uh, Wilson also says thank you. I'm reading it in a Facebook chat right now. Uh, so that's that's pretty sweet. I don't think there's much else to talk about. We we did cover a lot of topics. If you have any questions, again, regarding all this sort of stuff, I think um, when I started, it would have been much easier for me if I had like people to ask, you know, people who would just shortcut me to the the answer. So definitely just drop a note in our inbox, and for sure we will get back to you with whatever insights we have specifically to your situation, www.theeternalglorypodcast.com. And on that note, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.